But what Sam Bankman Freed is accused of doing is not a failure of cryptographically secured assets or its underlying technology. What he's accused of doing is what a litany of now infamous financial fraudsters have been convicted of in the past, namely Enron, Bernie Madoff, Lehman Brothers, Theranos, WorldCom, just to name a few, right? So Bankman Free's alleged criminal activities weren't a crypto asset problem any more than the aforementioned frauds were a dollar problem. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a solo episode with me, Professor Tanya Evans. I am an intellectual property and technology lawyer and full tenured professor at Penn State Dickinson Law School with a co-hire appointment at the Penn State Institute for Computational and Data Sciences. And fun fact, prior to joining Dickinson Law, I served as Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, where I created and directed the school's blockchain, cryptocurrency, and law online professional certificate program, the first of its kind, and developed its curriculum and managed its world-class instructor pool. I'm also the founder and CEO of Advantage Evans Academy, digital asset onboarding experience to prepare members of marginalized communities, as well as legacy leadership to enter into the digital asset space safely, legally, and confidently. And as you know, I'm your host of the Tech Intersect podcast, which is a weekly show that highlights new and notable experts at the intersections of law, business, and technology in the future of work, wealth, and creativity. And now I'm going to add innovation. Also, another fun fact, from 2020 to 2021, I also served as chair of the Maker Ecosystem Growth Foundation, the now dissolved entity that developed and deployed the MakerDAO protocol. And as many of you know, on March 9th, I actually appeared before the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Digital Assets Financial Technology, also known as FinTech, and Inclusion. And the hearing title was Coincidence or Coordinated, the Administration's Attack on the Digital Asset Ecosystem, which is chaired by French Hill of Arkansas with Vice Chair Warren Davidson of Ohio. And there's also ranking member Stephen Lynch from Nebraska. And the overall House Financial Services Committee is chaired by Patrick McHenry from North Carolina and There's also ranking member Maxine Waters, who previously held the position of chair of the House Financial Services Committee before the last election. So I was extremely, extremely honored to have been invited to testify before this new subcommittee's first hearing. There was electricity and nervous excitement and enthusiasm in the space as well. And I 
had a five minute open as everyone did. And I will drop a link in the show notes to the replay of the hearing. So I do hope that you have a listen to the entire hearing. But if you want to also just fast forward (laughs) to my opening, I think it's around the 19-ish minute mark. I'll be more specific when I write up the show notes. But I wanted to supplement what I was not able to say. I have my full written remarks that I will also share in the show notes. Also be at my websites at prof, P-R-O-F, like professor, proftanyaevans.com. And I may do a shorter, smaller snippet at advantageevans.com. But there was lots I wanted to say. My testimony, I think it was, my written testimony, I think was about 10 pages And you answer the questions that you are asked and they won't always align with what you actually want to say. So thank goodness I am now, what do we call it? I guess I'm reclaiming my time so that I can share with you some of the things I didn't get to say at the hearing and also what I think was a missed opportunity with respect to diversity and inclusion in the space and the I'm going to assume unintended impact and consequences on communities of color, on women, when you have a regulatory incident or regulatory activities that impact a new ecosystem that actually is benefiting or providing, I should say, greater opportunities to participate in banking and finance in the future of money and of wealth. Now, my role there. I was called by the GOP. I'm a Black queer woman. I'm a progressive Democrat, to be sure. But on this particular topic, I certainly align with the sentiment and the intention of the Republican chair of this committee and the direction of this chair. I actually think this is a progressive issue, and I've been really dismayed and disappointed by Democrats who don't see the value proposition. I'm all for ramping up investor and consumer protections. But as I will mention, as I get into some of the remarks that I didn't get a chance to share during the hearing, everybody got wrecked in the last downturn of not only the crypto ecosystem, but it did not happen in a vacuum and actually was responsive to the overall macroeconomic downturn during the pandemic that we're still climbing out of. We have interest rate hikes. We have banks now that are failing. I'm recording on March 13th. God knows what's going to happen by the time this airs on, let's see, um, March 17th. So I have a whole new cycle for five weeks. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next five weeks. But I know that over the weekend, we had Silicon Valley Bank and Signature and also Silvergate shuttering its doors and going either into receivership or voluntarily winding down, all because of, in my humble estimation, some pressures from the Fed and the banking industry to really, really wreck those companies that were helping to support those who were innovating in the space for crypto. I don't think it is about Bitcoin and other cryptographically secured assets. I think now the government finally woke up and realized that it has a customer service issue on its doorstep and it was asleep at the wheel for many years. And it now seems that they are trying to make up for lost time. 
Now, that being said, my role there was as a nonpartisan academic. That's the lens through which I expressed my concerns for investors and innovators who are participating in this latest wave of financial innovation. And my concern when a powerful agency, most notably the Securities Exchange Commission or the SEC, uses its broad discretionary powers on a piecemeal basis without also providing commensurate clarity for regulated parties or a fair opportunity for good faith actors to understand the rules and the consequences that apply to the entire industry. And I think clarity is clearly in the best interest of the country if, and that's if, our collective goal is in fact to protect U.S. investors and consumers. And in my opening remarks, I expressed that my goal that day was threefold. One, to advocate for clear rules and regulations for the crypto asset ecosystem and efficient, effective approaches toward that end. Two, I encouraged Congress to use its legislative authority to enact laws to rebalance its delegation of authority to the SEC and to empower the commodity Futures Trading Commission, or the CFTC, to regulate spot trade markets for the digital assets ecosystem. And three, and this is a missed opportunity because I received no questions about this next topic, nor did anyone else on this five-member witness panel, four called by the GOP, one called by the Democrats. Third, my third goal was to ensure that laws rules and regulations are crafted to promote best practices and policies that continue to strengthen access and inclusion for all Americans, not just the wealthy few in the digital asset ecosystem and the future of money, work, and innovation, while also protecting those communities from financial and predatory harms. Now, interestingly, this hearing was called on the anniversary of the Biden executive order. Biden signed an executive order in 2022 into law on March 9th. And one year later, the subcommittee calls its first hearing, which I found interesting. I'm going to assume they did it on purpose. If not, that's amazing synchronicity. And I wanted to just quickly go through the sections. I'm not going to drill down, but I will Again, link to my written testimony because I have a fuller description and discussion around each of the sections. In section one of the EO, it detailed the administration's digital currency policy and called upon administrative agencies, the administrative state, to take strong steps to reduce the risks that digital assets could pose to consumers, investors, and business protections, to maintain financial stability and financial system integrity to combat and prevent crime and illicit finance, to ensure national security and the ability to exercise human rights, to promote financial inclusion and equity, and to address climate change and pollution. Section two identifies six goals of the executive branch, three calls for interagency coordination. So in response to the call of the hearing title, is it coordinated or coincidence? I think it's abundantly clear and it's mandated that the agency approach be an interagency approach and also be coordinated. Section four articulates the administration's policy regarding the research, development, and possible deployment of a U.S. central bank digital currency or CBDC. 
and to create a digital and programmable version of its physical counterpart. Section five deals with crime protection. Sections six through 10 cover enlisted order, actions to promote financial stability, mitigation of systemic risk, the strength of market integrity, actions to address finance and national security risks, a call to foster international cooperation and United States competitiveness, definitions of terms of art and other general provisions. After all that, and I detail it more specifically in the written comments, I made the conclusion that it's a framework, which is what it's called, a framework that has yet to fulfill its promise. So the EO calls for interagency coordination to develop agency and interagency frameworks for the regulation of crypto assets. And then on September 16th of 2022, the White House released what it described as the first ever comprehensive framework for the responsible development of digital assets. But it provided no basic structure that you would think of when you think of the word framework, no underlying system, no process, no concept, no text. It was more of a report out of initial agency findings and recommendations than some type of workable framework that regulated parties could reasonably rely on to operate lawfully within clear rules of engagement for this novel, programmable, and dynamic asset class. The lack of clarity in the workable framework clearly has a negative impact. It's a coordinated effort for sure, instead of some type of rules of engagement, even if they're difficult. At least people and companies would stay in the United States if they could figure out what the approach is going to be, what the rules are, how not to go afoul of what is expected. But instead, good faith industry participants and and the professional representatives who serve them are left with little on which to rely unless or until they trip this hidden regulatory wire that leads to retroactively applied sanctions and the cessation of services at the hands of powerful regulators, most notably the SEC. So based on this interagency call to action, whether or not it's coordinated, it's clear. It's a simple answer. And indeed, the only answer is yes. So I offered some suggested next steps for Congress One, to examine how agencies generally and the SEC in particular are using their statutorily prescribed powers, including considerable discretionary powers to give effect to the coordinated policy call to action and whether even with this discretion, at some point, even the use of discretionary powers can be arbitrary and capricious. And that's a rabbit hole that I won't do today, but I do teach, among other things, administrative law. So the Administrative Procedure Act has something to say about the review by courts of agency action or sometimes inaction. So time will tell. I'll do another episode at some point to explain further just how agencies, particularly executive agencies, function, where they get their power. Long story short, any power that executive agencies hold is delegated to it by Congress. That is why Congress is the best place to fix this if they are so inclined. That means they could pass new legislation with more specific guidelines and 
mandates for executive agencies, or they could amend existing laws, et cetera, et cetera. So moving forward, I did say a little bit about separating fact from fiction in my written testimony about crime. I will make this one point that I didn't get to make there. In 2022, the crypto asset ecosystem experienced numerous crises at the hands of major players that caused reverberating effects within both the crypto asset ecosystem and the broader economy, to be sure. The domino effects of crypto lender and exchange failures subsequently were used by critics as like exhibit A to support this narrative that all crypto assets, and that means Bitcoin and every other coin and token, and there are over 22,700 plus and counting different types of tokens and native coins. All of them, all of them are just scams and a fraud. This is both counterproductive, patently false, a case in point in 2022, the crypto crime report from Chainalysis found transactions involving illicit addresses represented just 0.15% of cryptocurrency transaction volume in 2021 and 0.24% in 2022. If that last data point was actually from the 2023 report, I believe. So if there's any hope for meaningful, well-calibrated regulation of the crypto asset ecosystem, it's important to separate fact from fiction and not perpetuate this myth. I actually deal with this myth and nine others in my forthcoming book this fall, Digital Money Demystified. It's, it's just a myth. The number one currency used in illicit activity is the dollar. And when criminals use the dollar, we don't call it a dollar problem. We call it a crime problem. When I think of Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, that's not a crypto problem. That's a fraud problem. Disgraced FTX and Alameda Research founder, SBF, he's accused of diverting billions of dollars in customer funds to a trading platform he controlled. I've talked about this in previous episodes as well. He's charged essentially for using his power, position, and privilege to maximize his profits at the expense of FTX investors and customers employees, the crypto asset industry, all of the politicians that accepted money from him and and started down the path of co-authoring legislation with him. The list of charges in the federal indictment, as well as the SEC and CFTC actions currently on pause pending the federal case, alleged that he and his cohorts misappropriated customer funds held in yield-bearing accounts. And those accounts promised I think it was an 8% return to leverage up his hedge fund and make extremely risky investments, all without the knowledge or consent of customers. Misuse of client funds is clearly illegal. It has serious consequences. Case in point, you know, he has a police bracelet or whatever it is on his ankle and he's in his parents' basement waiting on his trial. But what Sam Bankman-Fried is accused of doing It's not a failure of cryptographically secured assets or its underlying technology. What he's accused of doing is what a litany of now infamous financial fraudsters have been convicted of in the past, namely Enron, Bernie Madoff, Lehman Brothers, Theranos, WorldCom, just to name a few, right? So Bankman-Fries alleged criminal activities weren't a crypto asset problem any more than the aforementioned frauds were a dollar problem. It's classic fraud. All the charges level against him and his cronies were apparently done using centralized ledgers and fraudulent bookkeeping to perpetrate a fraud valued into the billions, while good faith market participants chose instead 
to move to jurisdictions providing clarity for innovators and investors and consumers. Hi, I'm Dr. Tanya M. Evans, author of Digital Money Demystified. And I want to let you know that to stay on the leading edge of any opportunity, especially investing, you have to empower yourself with the tools and resources needed to keep your knowledge and skills current. And if you're relying on last year's information or even last month's, look, you're already behind. Sure, you can try to figure this out on your own at YouTube University. The problem is it's difficult to separate fact from fiction with so many carnival barkers banking on your inexperience. And of course, there are the naysayers, usually from legacy finance, banking on your fear while they quietly help their high net worth clients to invest. All of it muddies the waters when all you want to know is how to get in safely, legally and competently so you're not left behind. That's why I wrote Digital Money Demystified, where I take the top 10 crypto myths head on and give you well-researched, well-supported facts to empower you to make good choices out there in the new digital cash economy. As a law professor who developed the first blockchain crypto and law online certificate program, a retail and corporate crypto policy and education trainer, and a thought leader appearing regularly on national media, I've done the heavy lifting so you don't have to. Look, there are plenty of books and courses on which crypto assets to invest in. Digital Money Demystified is the book you read before you dive into those. So head to digitalmoneydemystified.com to learn more and prepare for the future of money and wealth today. Now, final point that I want to raise that was a huge missed opportunity, especially given the name of this subcommittee, Digital Assets, Financial Technology and Inclusion. There was no discussion of inclusion. There was no discussion of financial access and inclusion in the future of work and money and innovation. Web3 has the potential to be the decentralized and democratized internet promised when Web 2.0 first came on the scene with a gangster wing. An optimally functioning public permissionless blockchain gives true access to all. For example, from its inception, the Bitcoin protocol has been fully permissionless, secure, transparent, and that mitigates or in some cases even eliminates the asymmetry of information that plagues the current opaque privileged financial system. And given the still relatively early stage development of the distributed ledger infrastructure, it's imperative that private and public entities work together to explore and enhance those aspects of the blockchain, decentralized finance, crypto assets, stable coins that empower, include and uplift all communities, not just the privileged a critical and unique opportunity exists to achieve these aspirations. They are laudable, they are aspirational, and they don't exist in the fullness of this moment, especially with, in my humble opinion, Operation Choke Point 2.0, cutting down access to crypto-friendly banks. And when I say crypto-friendly, I mean the crypto industry, providing banking to crypto innovators, for example, so they stay here in the United States rather than going abroad. Other industries have suffered this as well. The cannabis industry, for example, 
So the reason that this is a critical and unique opportunity and one that hasn't existed since the dot-com era that created the enormous Silicon Valley wealth for generations, it's because in a decentralized financial environment, it doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your age or gender, your orientation or any other othered characteristic. And one other point, legacy financial institutions get it, even though publicly they'll go on CNBC and everybody everywhere else and say how it's so bad. Stay away from crypto, no crypto any of the time, drug money, scam, blah, 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 blah. Legacy financial institutions have seized the early mover opportunity among their peers. I saw that when I first got into the space in 2017, the number of patents and trademarks, just go to the USPTO.gov and go over and start searching trademarks that have the word crypto or blockchain or go and search patent applications and see all of the IBM applications and, and JP Morgan and all of the big banks. On one hand, they're saying, don't pay attention to this. On the other hand, they've been paying attention to it for a long time. And they're innovating in the space to deliver products and services for the digital future by leveraging blockchain technology or offering direct or indirect exposure to crypto to their customers. And despite Again, those public comments injecting misguided narratives, also known as FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, intentionally about crypto assets, major banking and financial institutions like Deutsche Bank, Morgan Stanley, and even longtime Bitcoin skeptic JP Morgan. They've all recognized the value proposition of crypto and blockchain and started to position themselves for a decided advantage in this new distributed value frontier. And this includes giving exposure to high net worth individuals and clientele. So the unchecked imbalance and access to future wealth generating opportunities only serves to reinforce the status quo of yesteryear. And without the sufficient investment education, resources, and support for small businesses, especially minority and woman-owned businesses, will likely be eclipsed by large enterprises looking to stake their proverbial flags in this new world of fintech advancement. And they'll also be left to suffer the greatest harm when bad actors are allowed to flourish and good actors are driven offshore, as just occurred in the most recent bear market. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. So I have a lot to say about that. And one thing in particular I want to remind you of, I've done episodes about this before, but I want to make quick mention of it now since we're on this topic. A reminder that in 2022, REL Investments and, and Schwab, they get together every year to do this Black Investor Report. And the surveyors included crypto asset investment statistics for the first time in 2022. 2023 isn't out yet, but I think it comes out around this time of year, maybe March, April. So when it does, 
I'll be sure to do an episode about that. 25% of Black Americans currently own crypto as of last year. 23% cited excitement over crypto as being the reason they even started investing in the first place. Twice as many Black Americans as white ranked cryptocurrency as the best investment choice overall, 8% versus 4 Black crypto investors are more likely than whites to believe it's safe, 33% versus 18% of whites. So that signals to me a couple of things. Because of the inability to fully engage in and participate in banking and finance without going through all of the rigmarole that exists as barriers where you have gatekeepers that either redline or predatory lending and loans or some of the ways where traditional wealth is accumulated, home ownership, having a great and stable career that gives you access to retirement benefits and the like and insurance, all of that is dependent upon somebody saying yes or no, but not so in the case of ownership of Bitcoin and other crypto assets or participating in decentralized finance. The other data points that deal with beliefs around the best investment and the safety of crypto are more concerning. That suggests that more education is needed. With more education, and that's why I'm so proud of the work that I do at the Advantage Evans Academy and so proud of the students who have gone through the program and the members of the Grand Slam Circle community where we meet biweekly, we have monthly masterclasses, they have access to my full suite of online courses, they have first access to my in-person cohorts. In fact, I have an upcoming webinar. It's just $97 for general admission tickets, but you can have a higher order experience if you want to do one-on-ones with me and join the community. So I have something for everyone, but more people need to be doing what I'm doing to lean into education, to learn a financial language at a high level. And specifically, crypto lingo can be very wonky. I have a course that I've developed crypto lingo demystified. So look out for that coming soon as well. But another thing is just the trust in legacy financial institutions is still very low. And even the surveyors concluded that there's clear need for financial institutions. I would argue places outside of the financial institution realm, but financial institutions to build trust. (laughs) Ha! Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh out loud, but financial institutions (laughs) to build trust and address the education gap between black and white investors. I humbly submit if they wanted to, it would already be done. And there are some that are working to do that, but not in a critical mass. And this data point is likely the reason that crypto assets and DeFi are so attractive to black investors, especially digital natives. And the idea of a trusted intermediary, a bank, for example, is no longer needed to have a secure way to exchange value and to leverage crypto assets to earn interest or extract value like equity out of a home, all without the gatekeepers in a system plagued with systemic ills like racism and sexism and all the other isms in a space that hasn't proved itself to be trustworthy. Sadly, this distrust is well-earned and reaches back to the first bank created specifically for Black citizens in America, the Freedmen's Bank, created by President Abraham Lincoln with oversight by the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, or the OCC, still in existence today, that allowed it to fall into corrupt hands, leading to the bank's collapse 
and caused a major blow to the confidence and livelihood of scores of Black depositors who trusted the bank and the country with their savings. So I concluded all of that to say that the SEC has chosen to wield its considerable discretionary authority in an aggressive way, and that as Congress considers how best to reevaluate its delegation of powers to the SEC and perhaps to empower the CFTC to have jurisdiction over spot crypto asset markets, three final points that I offered reconsider legislation with bipartisan support across oversight committees that would rein in unwieldy executive agency actions and empower the CFTC to regulate spot crypto asset markets, ensure again that all citizens have equal access and opportunity to thrive, and to request that the SEC chair appear before congressional oversight committees to explain how this piecemeal approach of suing individual companies or entities or individuals without also issuing guidance in the area, without also fully and robustly engaging in rulemakings that have the effect of law that applies to all regulated parties, not just one or a few. Otherwise, we're all just left guessing and the SEC chair can say, you can go to the website and just fill out a form. Crypto companies don't even know what entity to check in order to get the ball rolling. And filling out an application does not guarantee that it will be uh, honored. In fact, I'll wait until you give me a long, 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 long list of all those who've gone before and actually receive the blessing of the SEC. Anyway, I could go on and on, but it's time for me to go back and drink from the fire hose of information to see what on earth has happened in the crypto industry and finance and banking in the 30-ish minutes that I've been talking. There's a lot going on out there. I want you to stay informed. I want you to join me for my next webinar. It's on March 22nd at 1130 Eastern Time, 1130 to 1. It's called Detach. And I will share during this webinar, it's a premium webinar. So you have a lot of different opportunities to engage with the material and with me. So you can go to advantageevans.com forward slash detach. That's advantageevans.com forward slash detach. And you can register for this exclusive webinar where I share my six step detach framework for the prudent crypto investor. So you will learn how to avoid scams, how to read the tea leaves of the headlines, how to diversify, which is a slightly different approach now than we used to talk about before 2023. I have some updated metrics and statistics, different tools and resources that you can leverage to protect your assets and leverage them even in a down market. There are a few different ticket types. You have general admission, so you can sit in live and have limited access to a replay or live replay and also participate in a special Q&A session based on what we talk about as well, where you get to ask your questions live. This is set up in a webinar format, so obviously I will have the chat going, but if you upgrade your ticket to a VIP ticket, so you go from general admission at $97 to a VIP ticket, and that will give you some additional options 
You have a premium option. So the premium option has all general mission benefits as well as the live Q&A that I was talking about. VIP comes with the premium benefits. So you have the general admission ticket benefits. You have the replay of the Q&A. If you are a VIP, you meet with me one-on-one for a 30-minute clarity call, which is fantastic. And you can upgrade from VIP to platinum. With platinum, you have all of the VIP ticket benefits. So that is the live, the replay, a one-on-one 30-minute clarity call with me to get your specific questions answered, and a one-month complimentary membership to my Grand Slam Circle that includes access to all of my courses, community engagement, my bi-weekly group coaching calls. So in that month, you'll get two coaching calls, one additional masterclass, and an access to all of my online course content as well. So again, head to advantageevans.com slash detach and start with all of the benefits of general admission. And if you are really ready to rock and get smart, (laughs) forget get rich quick. I like to get rich quick. I just don't want it to be a scheme. So I'm happy to get rich quick, but no schemes. But I do want you to get smart quick or quickly, as my English teacher would say. So my goal is really to compress the amount of time that it would take you to learn everything that I have learned in six years. That has been a lot. My head is constantly throbbing and there's always something new, which is why continuing crypto education is very, very important. If you're an existing or former student or former member of one of my membership clubs in the past, because I've revamped some things, come back in, figure out where we are today and where you're going. Let's get ready for the next bull run. Let's figure out how to thrive in the midst of regulatory shifts and all of that. I want you to be safe, legal, and confident in the space. You don't have to do everything or all the things or anything except to invest in you and your education and the future of work and wealth and innovation, who you are and what you have tomorrow and next year and five years from now and 10 years from now starts today. So join me on March 22nd for Detach. Go to advantageevans.com forward slash detach. Grab your ticket. General admission starts at just $97. You can have premium, VIP, or platinum. I look forward to continuing this conversation in the episodes to come. We're getting really close to episode 150, y'all. If you've been rocking with me since the beginning, since 2020, amazing. I, I think I started December of 2020. I've gone every week. Sometimes I did a replay, don't judge me, but I posted every week and counting. We're moving up on 150 episodes. I'd love to hear from you. Use the hashtag Tech Intersect on Twitter for sure or on IG. Thanks so much for listening. Let me know what you think about this episode. Be sure to like, follow, comment, share. And until next time, as I always say, continue to shine. Tanya's producer, Alicia, hopping in here to let you know that we have a recording from Professor Evans' live testimony. So here's a clip from her opening remarks, and we'll make sure that we have a link for the full hearing in the show notes. 
to Chairman Hill, Ranking Member Lynch, and distinguished members of this subcommittee. Thank you for the opportunity to testify today about the current U.S. regulatory landscape as applied to emerging crypto asset ecosystems. I view today's hearing through a nonpartisan academic lens, and I accepted the invitation to help inform and calibrate the conversation about the current regulatory environment in this latest wave of financial and technological innovation in a $1 trillion emerging market. I also wish to express concerns about the future of America's leadership in innovation in this area when a powerful agency uses its broad discretionary powers on a piecemeal basis without also providing commensurate clarity for regulated parties or a fair opportunity for good faith actors to understand the rules and the consequences that apply in an entire industry. And I intend to also highlight the tremendous loss of wealth accumulation opportunities for communities of color, especially the black community, if investment and innovation opportunities in the crypto asset ecosystem are driven offshore. Accordingly, as Congress considers how best to reevaluate its delegation of powers to the SEC and whether to empower the CFTC further in some capacity, I offer three points to consider. One, given that the heads of the SEC and CFTC do not actually agree on the character and nature of whether and under what circumstances certain crypto assets, especially Ether, or commodities or securities, reconsider bipartisan legislation across oversight committees that would clarify the taxonomy of crypto assets, limit unpredictable and incongruous executive agency actions, and consider empowering the CFTC to regulate spot crypto asset markets. Two, ensure that all citizens, especially those who have been systemically marginalized, have equal access and opportunity to thrive safely, legally, and confidently in the future of wealth and innovation. And three, request the SEC chair to appear before congressional oversight committees to explain how its current practice of an aggressive piecemeal approach to regulation of crypto assets comports with efficient and effective regulation and how this practice aligns or doesn't with the legislative mandate to protect investors, to maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and to facilitate capital formation. I want to punctuate briefly my concerns that in this latest economic boom, systemically marginalized populations will continue to be left behind when under the well-intentioned guise of investor and consumer protections, and as well as not so well-intentioned streams of fear, uncertainty, and doubt from legacy financial institutions and other parties with vested interest in seeing the crypto economy fail, that wealthy early adopters and legacy institutions protecting their high net worth clientele will again reap the upside risk and reward of early adoption, leaving another generation of systemically marginalized people behind. For example, legacy financial institutions have seized the early mover opportunity among their peers to innovate in delivering products and services in the digital future by leveraging blockchain technology or offering direct or indirect exposure. Despite public comments injecting misguided narratives about crypto assets, major banking and financial institutions like Deutsche Bank, Morgan Stanley, and even longtime Bitcoin skeptic JP Morgan have all recognized the value proposition of crypto and blockchain. So in conclusion, the technology and opportunity to include crypto assets taxed as capital assets 
in a portfolio or build new and innovative products for the decentralized web or reskill to bring a legacy company into the future of innovation or prepare students for the future of work and industry or to sit before this esteemed body today with a seat at the table to inform and influence the direction of legislation and regulation of digital money. With every country, including the United States, working on its own protected sandbox of digital asset innovation, private markets deserve the same, to innovate safely, legally, and with clarity right here in the United States. Again, thank you for this opportunity, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag Tech Intersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this, and remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices, and remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.